Amen. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Jason. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Hope you're doing well. Uh, as Ken just read, we are going to be in John 21. We'll get to that in a minute. First things first, I uh, just wanted to uh, welcome you. I know Nick did that earlier, but if you're a guest visiting with us, especially honored to have you. Um, truly is an honor that you would just come and give us some of your time. And so our greatest hope for you is that God would speak to you and meet you where you are um, and whatever that means. And so um, even as I move into a time of teaching in the word more than my voice, I really want for you is to hear God's voice, to hear him speak through his word. And so um, we'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, a couple things. Um, the, the other thing I want to mention is this, and I'll be brief here because we'll go into depth on Wednesday, but um, this isn't the, the first time in American culture and history that we've experienced um, the, the level of intensity um, related to really controversial, sometimes controversial topics, um, big movements of activism, those sorts of things. But it's been a minute. It's been 50, 60 years since we've experienced anything like we're experiencing. First time in my lifetime. And, uh, and, and it's not the first time that the church has been kind of caught up or entangled in it, not knowing, uh, not knowing what to say or how to get involved or what the church's um, position should be from God's perspective in these types of things. So the elders of Solid Rock feel like this is a, an appropriate time for us to spend an evening. Um, not necessarily getting into every topic that's out there, but to, uh, to equip you as the church with the tools that you need as a Christian uh, to know what it means to first be a citizen of God's kingdom, living as a citizen here on earth, and how to navigate these types of topics personally, but then also how to navigate them as they impact your other relationships, relationships with family members, co-workers, friends, uh, especially whenever things go sideways. So we're going to do that this Wednesday night. Um, invite you for our, our Wednesday night worship. It's the topic we'll be covering. And then uh, we'll also have a testimony of, of somebody who's personally walked through this and how it's impacted their family. And then we'll do a Q&A at the end, which is the part that you love, right? Where you get to throw questions uh, and we'll do our best to answer. So that's coming up Wednesday night, 630. We will have childcare. This is a different Wednesday night. Um, so we're doing childcare from like nursery through fifth grade. Uh, our students will still have student ministry as normal, but for, for all the youngers, because we typically don't have anything below third grade, we're going from nursery to fifth because we wanted the largest um, turnout that we, could, that we could get. We didn't want you to not come because you didn't have a place for your kiddo to go, okay? So that's this Wednesday, 6.30 in this room. Hope to see you there. Um, and the students, I think, are eating this Wednesday, Maybe, I don't know. So don't stop and eat with the students. That's not for you, that's for them. But we'll be in here adults. All right, so let's get into this. Um, so what's interesting about the Gospel of John, I love the Gospel of John, I hope you do too. Uh, we are just, if you've noticed, you're reading along, we're just a few verses away from being done with it. Uh, and so next Sunday, we'll come back and we'll finish it out and we will have read the whole gospel together out loud and, and talked, talked through it, talked through it and allow God to speak to us through it. Um, what's interesting though is two things. One is how John starts the gospel. His, his presentation of Jesus is this cosmic deity that's higher than the heaven, that's over all of creation, that gives breath to everything that is living. But then he ends with this very personable uh, perspective on Jesus, this Jesus who meets us where we are. Even in his resurrection accounts, he's meeting his followers in very personal, very intentional ways. So yes, he is the God who has created all things and he is also a God who meets us in a very personal way. 
What also is interesting about the Gospel of John is it looks like he originally stopped with chapter 20, and then most scholars will say chapter 21 was added later. We don't know if that was like a month later or a year later, uh, and we also don't know why. Maybe he had sat down with one of the other disciples and was like, hey, will you read through this with me? And, and they were like, hey, why didn't you include the third resurrection account? He's like, it's a good point. And so the Holy Spirit maybe spoke through another disciple to John. Hey, why don't you go back and, and add this other chapter in? Or maybe John was just alone with the Lord and the Holy Spirit spoke to him in that way. It was like, hey, John, there's something missing here. So we don't know the reasons why. We don't even know the timing of it. But there's still an elephant in the room. And I don't know that this is the reason why John went back and wrote uh, this last chapter, but he certainly does address the elephant in the room, and the elephant in the room is Peter. Now, we know there's this unique relationship between the two, and especially the last three chapters. There's a whole lot of Peter and John, Peter and John. But what's interesting is if he had stopped in 20, the very next book in your Bible, the book of Acts, we're going to see Peter and John taking ministry, right, to, to, to the Jews in Jerusalem. And they're out there like planting the church and starting the church and they're doing ministry together. But the thing that's lingering is, wait a second, Peter, didn't he just deny Jesus like three times? And, and John wrote about it? Like, doesn't that need to be reconciled on some level? And so we saw last week, the first part of chapter 21, the, they go out fishing, seven of them in a boat, they don't catch anything, Jesus shows up, third resurrection appearance, invites them to come have breakfast. What, what's interesting though is the details that John captures from John's perspective matter. And so it's interesting because when John recognizes Jesus on the shore, he doesn't turn to the other six and go, hey guys, it's Jesus. He turns to Peter and says, hey Peter, it's Jesus. And then what happens is all the disciples don't come rushing, right? Peter throws himself in the water and swims to the bank. So in this last chapter, John is capturing really important details about Peter and about Peter's relationship with the Lord. And what we're going to cover today um, is really uniquely centered around um, Jesus and Peter. And so I don't know that this is the full reason why John went back and wrote it. Maybe Peter read it and was like, hey man, you kind of threw me under the bus. Like, Jesus made this thing right with me. Go back and write it. I don't know that. But for whatever the reasons were, he invites us into this moment of reconciliation between Peter and his Lord. And what was wronged by Peter denying Christ three times is made right through the grace of Jesus. Uh, the only other thing that I think I want to add to this before we start is you're going to see today how relatable Peter is, maybe even on a personal level. There's, there may be something in Peter you think about today and you go, mm, I'm glad Peter's in the story. That's encouraging to me. And the other thing that um, I would say too is when we were going through Peter's denials back in chapter 18, two things were happening simultaneously. Jesus was on trial, Peter was denying. And John goes back and forth, back and forth. Here's Jesus on trial, here's Peter denying Jesus. Here's Jesus on trial, here's Peter. It was all happening at the same location at Caiaphas' house. More than likely, Jesus was kind of like in the inner courtyard area, just above the outer courtyard area, and that's where Peter was warming himself, right? And so while Jesus is on trial, and he's being faithful to what God's called him to do, what his father's called him to do, Peter's just outside walking in denial, walking in fear and denying that he even had anything to do with Jesus. So we're going to start with Matthew 26. Um, we're going to ramp up to John 21, just some background here. 
In Matthew 26, 30, uh, Matthew captures uh, Jesus and the disciples talking about this denial. Verse 30 says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is right after this communion moment, okay, this Lord's Supper moment. Uh, 31 says, then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. You guys are the sheep. I'm the shepherd. I'm, they're going to strike me tonight and you guys are going to fall away. But after this, I am raised up and I will go before you to Galilee. Okay, that's where they are in chapter 21, the Sea of Galilee. Now, Verse 33, though, Peter answers him. <laughs> Peter doesn't know how to make friends. He certainly doesn't know how to keep them. He says, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Right? That's his way of saying, not me. I, I know what you mean. Yeah, I know, Jesus. You're talking about those guys. Not me. And Jesus says to him, truly, I tell you this very night, talking to Peter before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And then all the other disciples did what? They did the same. They said the same thing. So this is just an overview of that conversation where ahead of time, not only does Jesus let Peter know this is going to happen, we see Peter emphatically promising it won't, right? Like there's, here's Peter. He doesn't want to face the truth about himself that Jesus is showing him. Uh, the second part of it is, is this idea that it won't happen to me. You ever buy into that lie? I know, it's, I, know, I know it'll happen to them, but it won't happen to me. Not me, Jesus. And then lastly, he follows up with this, this promise to Jesus to, to try harder. Not only will I not deny you, I'm gonna die for you and with you if it costs me my life, making these promises to Jesus. Well, by the time we get to John 18, that scene at Caiaphas' house, here's where we are. Verse 17, Jesus is inside, he's on trial. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, hey, you also are not one of the, this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. What's interesting is uh, when Mark captures this same scene, he adds some more words. He says, I know not what you mean. Like Peter is backing away from this quickly. Verse 18, now the servant of the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. Verse 25, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. And then one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. John wants us to know, like, this guy knew it was Peter. Peter cut off this, guy, this guy's relative's ear. He knows who Peter is. So he says, did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it, and at once the rooster crowed. And actually, Mark adds on this third denial that he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. Like, I swear to God. Like, I'm staking my life on this. Like, this was very emphatic denial. It wasn't like Peter was just kind of skirting around the truth. He was all out denying Jesus. It's interesting too about the detail mentioned this last week. John will use two different words in his gospel for uh, the idea of the fire. And just a simple Greek word for fire is the word pur or pure, just that's a fire. 
But he takes a note here in verse 18 that uh, Peter was warming himself around a charcoal fire. That's an anthrakia. That's the Greek word for a very specific kind of fire. Why does that matter? I don't know. But John uses the same detail again. Now that they're on the the shore, Jesus is cooking breakfast on the same kind of fire. I'm saying that because here's the thing. What Jesus is about to do with Peter is going to end in Peter's good. But it's going to start with some pain. Matter of fact, we're going to read that it grieves Peter the way that Jesus is approaching this subject. We're going to see it super clear. But I think it's safe to assume Peter is carrying a burden here. A burden of of guilt and shame, right? Because he didn't just deny Jesus and then turn tail and run. He's still facing the other disciples and now he's facing Jesus. When is somebody going to bring this up? Do I need to bring this up with Jesus? Does this need to be dealt with? Do I just need to shove it under the rug? We don't know what he's thinking, but he's got to be carrying some sense of guilt here. I think that's behind him throwing himself in the water as soon as he sees Jesus. And so let's look at then how Jesus is going to address him. I'll, I'll read a quote first from John MacArthur had an interesting perspective on this moment, this moment by the fire. Here's what John MacArthur says. He says, Peter is beloved by all of us because he is like us. He has all the failures that we are so familiar with in our own lives. He overestimates himself. He underestimates temptation. He thinks he is more committed than he is. He thinks he loves the Lord more than he does. He thinks he can face any trial triumphantly and finds out he can't. By the time we get to this point, even though he has seen the risen Christ, he is really a broken man. And so now while they were sitting around the fire, look at verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus is gonna do something. Something that will be painful, but something that is extremely gracious and loving. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Look at this. Peter was grieved. Starting to hurt, starting to sting. Peter was grieved because he said it to him the third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now there's a really important detail about this that I want to take a moment to point out. You notice what Jesus calls Peter here? Simon, son of John. Do you know how long it's been since Peter has called him that? All the way since John chapter one, before he called him to be a disciple. If you remember back, all the way back in John chapter one, In verse 42, we read this, that he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. 
And then look at what Jesus says. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So Jesus changes Simon, son of John's name, to Cephas or Peter. The last time that Jesus called John, that was before he was officially a disciple. So think about that from Peter's perspective for a minute. Like that's a humble reminder, isn't it? So of the things that G- Peter is feeling on the inside, it's like, oh, like, man, you haven't called me that since like before I dropped my nets to follow you. Like, like why, are you, why are you calling me that? It almost makes me feel like I don't belong anymore. I don't think that's what Jesus' intentions are at all. But he is pointing out what? There is a need here for reconciliation. We can't just skirt your denial under the rug. The fact that God knew it in advance doesn't mean that there's not a need for forgiveness and reconciliation, which is an important lesson for us to think about. Have you ever applied that one to your own sin? God knew it was gonna happen anyway. He knew I was gonna do it and in some way use that as a way to kind of pacify your own shame or guilt. So here we see Jesus is addressing Peter in a very, very specific way. He calls him Simon, son of John. Now, what's interesting here is the way that the progression works in the Greek language, it's interesting. And I think John's trying to capture it as in detail as he can. So in the Greek language, we have different words for love. Agapao is one version. We have a, um, a phileo love. And we have an eros love. The, the two, though, that are being used here are agapao and um, phileo. And so let me just give you some definitions here to kind of help you have your bearings This idea of, I think we have this on the screen as well, agapao love, it's to love something or to value something or to be faithful towards something or to delight in something based on high regard or value of importance. So it's this reverent, faithful love. I love this person because this person has extreme value and is worthy to be loved. Okay, so that's a fairly good description of how we should love God, right? And it's often the way that God's love is described for us, even, with the agapao love. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, that's agapao love, okay? But there's another word here that gets used, and it's phileo. This word is to have love or affection for someone or something based on association. So like um, a familial bond, a friendship, um, some type, it's a relational affection, okay? So it's because you're my mom, I love you. Because you're my brother, I love you. Because you're my friend, I love you. What's interesting is that um, oftentimes we think, well, God loves with agapao love and then we love with phileo love. But that's the way that uh, John describes Jesus' love, love for Lazarus in chapter 11. He says that Jesus loved phileo love, Lazarus. So we know that even God loves with both types of love. A love that places value on the object of the, of that is, you know, professed to be loved, but also a relational love. Why does that matter? Well, what's interesting here is, is Jesus is asking these questions. He starts with agapao love. Peter, do you agapao me more than these? Do you love me with a reverent, faithful love more than what? Than you love these other guys, okay? What's interesting is that Peter doesn't say, yes, Lord, I agapao you. What does he say? He actually says, yes, Lord, I phileo phileo love you because you are my Lord. That's the position you have in my life. Yes, I love you. 
The second time that Jesus asks the question, he uses agapao love. He asks him again, Peter, do you agapao love me? Peter responds with, yes, I phileo you. But here's why I'm pointing that out. Because the third time, Jesus uses phileo love. He switches his word. So I don't know if, you know, some, some speculate that what he's doing is Peter just can't grasp agapao love, so Jesus quits asking it and he stoops down to Peter's level. And I don't think that's what he's doing. I think what, what Jesus is bringing here in this restoration moment is this idea of, like, you're right, Peter, we also have a, a phileo love for one another. Right, the same way that I loved Lazarus is the phileo love, Peter, I love you as well. So the last time Jesus asked him, he asked him, do you phileo love me? And then Peter says what? You know everything. You're my Lord. Yes, I love you with a phileo love. Now, I think it's really important to think about both types of love in your relationship with God. We'll start with this idea of a reverent love that's rooted in the value of the object of your love. Jesus is worthy to be loved whether you love him or not. I'll say that again. Jesus is worthy to be loved whether you choose to love him or not. You could despise him and hate him. It doesn't change his worthiness to be loved. It's rooted in who he is, okay? Agapao love, okay? We should have that kind of reverent, faithful, committed love for God. However, we should also have a phileo love, a relational love. You're my Lord. Remember, so like in these resurrection accounts, it's very personal. My Lord, my God. And so I want you to think about that. What's the danger of only having one of those kinds of loves? If you just stick to the reverent kind of love for God, God may just become this cosmic vending machine to you. You have reverence for him, which is appropriate, but there's nothing personal about it. You're not praying and walking with him in your everyday life. You, you basically admire him from a distance. Ooh, I don't want to get too close to him, right? I have reverence and respect for who God is and God's way over there and I'm way over here and let's just keep it that way. And so my love is rooted in who he is without this idea of a relational love that he walks with me, that he meets me for breakfast, that he meets me in my grief, that he meets me in my pain, that he meets me in my guilt and shame. However, listen, there's another caution that if all we have is this phileo love for God, what we tend to do then is we make God our homie. What's up, bro? There's no reverence, right? There's no worship. It's very relational, right? But it's void of who you're talking to. He's the son of God. Through him, all things were created and by him, all things are held together. And that's the one who you're claiming to love. And here between Peter and Jesus, we see that both words are being used and described in, in this relationship, and it should describe ours as well. I don't know if, if either one of those landed on you, right, to understand you should have this reverent love for Jesus because he's your king, but he also calls you his friend. I don't know. The king of the universe is your friend. So your love should be reverent, faithful, and committed but it's very personal. Your friend knows your name. Jesus knows your name. Like he can see past the outer shell. So when, you, when Jesus asks you how you're doing and you say fine, he knows the truth. He knows Peter's not fine. So here he is. And, and here's one more thing I wanna point out. 
Again, we don't know the extent to which this has been on Peter's mind, but do you notice who initiates this? It's not Peter. That, that's important, right? It's not like after they finish breakfast, Peter looks at Jesus like, hey, can I talk to you? Can we go talk for a minute over here? I just need to get some things. No, Peter's sitting there. He's just silent, maybe even paralyzed in, in what he's feeling, his grief, his, his guilt. And Jesus, listen, this is gracious what he's doing, right? He's inviting Peter out of that. I see you, Peter. I see what you're wrestling with on the inside. Let's talk. And Jesus initiates that. Now, what he, what he says to, to Peter is really important too. These follow-up phrases, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, care for my sheep. That's really important. Now, here's why. And I think this might land with some of us today. Once we get to the place where we're starting to believe that God could forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, there's still a struggle to believe that God would restore your calling. You with me? That God would restore your purpose. So the idea in our minds of God's forgiveness is what? This is just my, this is where I get my ticket into heaven. So I'm gonna ask for forgiveness, God's gonna forgive me, then I'm gonna sit back and just get on the train, I'm gonna mind my own, I'm not gonna get involved, right? The people who get involved in God's work and ministry and church, those are like the superstars, they don't ever have to struggle like me, and so you're glad that you're forgiven, but you haven't stepped forward into the, a renewed call and purpose. Um, I'll just share with you, without a ton of detail, I'll share detail with you one-on-one if you wanna know about it, but I went through a really, really significant struggle personally when I was um, 21 years old. And I had been in ministry for a few years, um, mainly just volunteer ministry. I was young. I was just kind of learning the ropes and had a pastor who was a mentor to me, who was teaching me how to teach the Bible and teaching me about worship and just teaching me all these things. I was very grateful. But about three years into this, um, I went through about a two or three month run of significant moral failure. Okay. And out of that, a lot of guilt and shame, a lot. Uh, to the point I even went and did like five days of outpatient counseling, trying to figure out what is this icky, dark, heavy thing I'm feeling and why can't I shake it? Well, about a month after that, I'll never forget finally gaining the courage up to, just to talk to somebody. And I went and talked to my pastor, right? And we have these kind of false views of, of pastors as these holy men, like that they never struggle. And like, if I go tell this person, I'm just going to feel more shameful and but I was like, man, I just got to go talk to him, man. I got to get some direction. Pastor's name is Matt Hudson. I went and sat down in Matt's office. I know exactly what it looked like. I remember the whole setting. My heart's beating. I've got all this weight that I need to unload. And I'm so afraid what he's going to say to me is like, well, you blew it. So much for that whole ministry thing. It was a good run. Enjoyed working with you. But now I'm going to need you to sit in the back row. Never forget Matt Hudson's response to me after I shared everything. Um, he said, hey, can I read a verse of scripture for you out of Romans? I said, yeah, Romans eleven twenty nine. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. He looked at me and he said, hey, Jason, God hasn't changed his mind on you. The calling that he gave you, the gifts that he's given, you still have them. Now you need to walk through a process of healing and restoration and reconciliation and we need to get some things in order 
in your life, but the calling's still there. Like, I'll never forget that for me. It was huge. It changed my perspective on who God was. So I was like, hey, I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll just clean the car, I'll vacuum. He's like, no, 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 your gifts and your calling, they're irrevocable. I'm saying that because that's what Jesus is doing for Peter here. He didn't say, okay, now, Peter, I need you to sit in the back seat. I'm gonna ask a couple of these other guys to take the lead. The feed my sheep, that's a renewed calling. That's what Peter was called to do, to lead the church, feed the sheep, tend to the lambs, care for the people. And it hadn't changed. So Jesus was calling Peter into reconciliation and forgiveness and what else? Restored calling. Like as soon as you move to the next book in your Bible, the book of Acts, guess who's the, who the forerunner is? Who's leading the charge? It's Peter. Yes, he needs a moment of reconciliation and restoration. He's got to get things right with God, but what comes out of that is what? A gift and a calling that is irrevocable. Now I want you to think about that. Have you ever struggled in that way? I'm just glad God forgives me. I gotta let go though of all the things that I thought he was calling me to and this purpose, like I've really messed up. All I want, God, is a back row seat. If you'll give me that, I'll be fine. God's like, man, you don't know how my grace works. It's way more powerful than that. It's way bigger than that. God, do you have enough grace to forgive me? Like I've really messed up. Yeah, but I've got more than that. I've got enough grace that to restore you to reconcile you. Now, this not only applies, listen to me, church, this not only applies to ministry and calling in that way, this applies to marriages, friendships, relationships. Yeah. Maybe your marriage is shipwrecked right now. Maybe you're the one who shipwrecked it. Just throwing it out there. And you're like, I need, I need this forgiveness thing. And Jesus is like, I'll meet you there. And then I'll up you some. How about we restore this thing? Ah, oh, there's no way she would ever forgive me. There's no way he would ever forgive me. And Jesus is like, yeah, he will. Now keep in mind, in Matthew 18, Peter and Jesus have a really um, specific conversation about forgiveness and how it works. This is in the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus is teaching on how to fix relationships and how to repair them and reconcile them, Matthew 18. And then Peter's like, I got a question. How many times do you expect us as your people to forgive? And maybe seven times? And Jesus is like, mm, I'll see you and I'll up you. How about 70 times seven? And then he teaches a story. I want you to think about this as you think about this phrase, feed my sheep. He tells him a story, he tells Peter a story. He says, listen, there was this really wealthy, powerful man that decided to collect all of his debts in the kingdom. So he called in everybody who owed him money. There's this one guy who owed him so much money he couldn't have paid him back in like 200 lifetimes. So the guy knew it, he was, he was sunk. And if he didn't pay his debt, that he was gonna have to be a servant along with his family to this man. So he falls on his knees and he begs for forgiveness from this guy. Please, please forgive me. Just give me a few more days and I'll, I'll pay you back. Don't take my family, don't, 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 don't take me in as a slave or a servant. And so the man does what? He doesn't give him more time, he clears his debt completely. Then what happens is the guy who was forgiven the debt goes out and finds a bunch of people who owes him money. And what does he do? 
He calls them in, give an account. There's one who owes him money who can't pay, begs for forgiveness. Does he issue forgiveness? No, he starts choking him. Hands around his neck, choking him, demanding that he pay in full, okay? The, the, the first man, the wealthy, powerful man who forgave the debts, that's God. The man he forgave, that's Peter. And what Jesus is saying is, Peter, what I'm asking you to do is to go out and do the same thing. Now think about this statement. It's not, Peter, go choke my sheep. It's what? Peter, go take care of the sheep. Peter, go take care of the lambs. Peter, go feed my sheep. I think this is so powerful to understand this full story of who Peter is and what what he has walked through and how intentional this moment is between him and Jesus. Let's read these last two verses here, 18 and 19. Jesus says this, truly, truly, I say to you, When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then John tells us, he gives us insight. He says, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Now, church history would tell us that more than likely Peter died by crucifixion. But because of his affection for Jesus and his reverent love for Jesus, he didn't feel like it was right for him to be crucified the same way as Jesus, so he asked to be crucified upside down. So there'd be some distinction between him and his Lord and Savior. But look at Jesus' final thing here. After saying this, he said to him these two simple words, what? Follow me. That's where the journey started back in chapter one. Lay down your nets and follow me. And so here Peter is fully restored in his calling, fully restored in his relationship, fully forgiven. So we think about Peter here. What is Jesus saying to Peter? He's saying, first of all, Peter, I forgive you. I cancel all your debts, all three denials. Let's do this three times just so you know that I mean it, one for each denial. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you, Lord, okay. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you, Lord. Peter, do you love me? And out of his grief, you know I love you. Okay, good, fully restored, forgiven, fully restored in your calling, and then this commission to do what? Now I need you to go feed my sheep. Go care for my people. I want to end with two big mistakes that I think we make with the grace of Jesus related to this particular part of the Gospel of John. First first mistake I think that we make as Christians is this. We don't hear the question that Jesus is asking correctly. Instead of, do you love me, feed my sheep, what we tend to hear is this question. Do you want my love? Do you want me to love you? Yes, Lord. Okay, then go feed my sheep. That's not what Jesus is asking, is it? But we tend to hear it that way, right? Do you want me to love you? Yes, I want you to love me. Okay, here's how you can get me to love you. Go feed my sheep. Go serve in the church, go volunteer. If you really want a lot of love, volunteer in the nursery. Yeah, like we can up this. You just want some of my love, you can be a greeter, but like you want like, you really want my love? 
You get a green shirt on and you go down there and you rock babies and change diapers and mommy and daddy can go to service. You see how we hear the question wrong? It wasn't, Peter, do you want me to love you? Okay, good, go do this and I'll love you. That wasn't the question. It was, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Okay, go feed my sheep. And then the second mistake, and we've already addressed this one, is this, we want the forgiveness, but we don't expect the restored calling. Right, I saw several of you kind of nodding as we were talking through that. I just want, I just want, to get, I just want God to like set the, the playing field level again. Just give me a jersey and I'll sit on the bench and I'll watch all the people who don't mess up as bad as me. And I'll cheer them on. If they need a bottle of water, I'll toss them a bottle of water. But I've kind of, I've kind of ruined my chances of playing, but I, at least I'm on the team. I've got my jersey. And Jesus is like, what are you doing? Go suit out. Like that's how powerful my grace is. It forgives and it restores and it reconciles and it makes all things new again. Hear me on that, church. The grace of Jesus makes all things new again, including you, you, and me. So I want to end there today. A couple of questions for reflection for you to think about and pray, and then we got a baptism coming, which is super excited about. I just want you to think about this. Can you think of a time where you allowed your shame to keep you from approaching God and asking for his forgiveness? You knew you needed to, but you were too shameful, too embarrassed. Is it encouraging to you to see that Jesus is like the one initiating this today? It is for me. The second thing is this is, how, do you, how does this, seeing Jesus' grace towards Peter, like how does, that, how does that give you hope? Like what does that make you want to do right now? Like what do you want to do with that right now? You, are you ready to, for me to get done talking so you can start praying and like going to Jesus and like having your moment? I hope so. I hope so. Um, at the end of our service today, it'll, it'll be a few minutes from now, we're going to have prayer partners um, down front. Uh, we'll have elders out in the commons area something's churning in you and you want somebody to pray with you about this, like maybe this is where you are. You're like, I need one of these moments in my life right now. Would you come grab one of us? Just let us pray with you today. Um, I'm gonna pray now. And uh, as I pray, we're gonna get ready for baptism and, uh, and then we'll sing after that. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful moment in the gospel of John. And, and God, we don't know why or even how you inspired John to, to go back and add the rest of this story in, but we're so thankful for it. Um, there's so many things about Peter that are relatable. Um, God, from his, <laughs> his enthusiastic overcommitment um, to his underestimation even of like temptation and his own weaknesses. And, and God, I'm just so thankful um, for the way that, that, that Peter like didn't run from you, but he ran to you. And some of us need to do that today. We need to jump out of the boat. We just need to like throw caution to the wind and we need to run straight to you. We need to speak to you. We need to hear you speak back to us. We need to experience the grace that comes when we ask for forgiveness, when we repent of sins, when we, when we just humble ourselves before you, God, that warm blanket of grace that can only come from you. And so I'm just praying for everybody in this room, even people maybe who are listening online, Right now, your Holy Spirit would do that. And Father, we pray too as we get ready for baptism that this would be a sweet moment 
for this family, for this individual, but also it would be a sweet moment for our church because this is a celebration um, as a church family. And so we're praying you prepare us for that. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.